Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the wisdom that you have promised your children. Lord, please place your thoughts in our hearts today about how to win souls for you, to bring relief from needless suffering, joy to the hearts of those who look to you, that your kingdom may come soon, that we may hasten your soon return. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, I'm going to begin today. Well, I'm just going to share with you briefly. I'm going to try to stay a little bit more on time today. Probably one of my favorite Bible stories is the story of the man by the pool of Bethesda in Mark chapter 5. Do you remember that man? How many years was he paralyzed at that pool? Yes, he was paralyzed for 38 years. Paralyzed from the neck down with no one to help him. He was helpless, hopeless, and worthless. A sense of his own sins having brought him to that condition made him all the more desperate. And I love the way that the story is written because it says that Jesus came to this place where this man was, and the first thing it says about his interaction with Jesus, it says that Jesus saw him and saw that he had been there a long time. And that gives me hope because sometimes we've been in a place for many, many years and Jerry's going to be sharing a story of an individual who has been in a place for many, many years. And yet Jesus saw that he had been there a long, long time. And yet that didn't detour the Lord at all from intervening in this man's life. And he said a really odd question. Do you remember what the question was? Do you want to be made whole? Well, now the man... uh, the, the man starts having fellowship with his troubles instead of the Lord. Lord, I've been here for 38 years. There's no one to help me. I'm waiting for my miracle. It's just not happening. Everybody steps over me. And it's easy to pass by these people, isn't it? And what an interesting question. Will you be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? I always wondered about that until a, a Jewish woman brought her daughter to my office to talk with me about this girl. She had, was in a desperate fix. She came to me because I had had a history of bulimia in my own life. She knew I was a, a health educator. And so she brought her, her girl, who suffered from a very severe case of bulimia, to me to talk to her, even though I was a Christian. And this girl had some horrific uh, rituals that she went through with this thing. And so I prayed very hard about working with this young lady, and, and I worked with her in my office. I talked with her. I gave her a lot of information about nutrition and stress and depression and breaking habits and the brain, and I gave her the hope of a savior uh, and, and yet she, sometimes her eyes would soften and sometimes she would harden right back up. And after running out of things to say, I looked at her and I said, do you want to stop doing this? I, I never thought to ask her. I just assumed everybody in her world wanted her to stop. And she looked at me and she said, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. And that was the end of that interview but not the end of the Lord's story with her, fortunately. But anyway, Jesus delivers this man. And later on in verse 14, Jesus says something very strange to this man. He says, Behold, you are made whole. Go and what? Sin no more, lest a 
worst thing comes upon you. And I remember my husband and I were driving on a business trip and I had my feet propped up on the dashboard and I was reading our evening worship while he was navigating where we were going. And I was reading this very story and I I looked at him and it just occurred to me. I said, Dane, what could be worse than being paralyzed from the neck down with no one to help you? And he didn't even miss a beat. He said, being paralyzed from the neck up and not wanting help. That's what's worse. And so a lot of what we teach is about unparalyzing the brain. You know, Bibles circulate freely in this country. But the enemy of our souls has other ways to paralyze our brains. I'm going to show you a very quick, it's just about three minutes, DVD clip that I think that you'll find most intriguing. And we'll just get the lights down. Heart attacks, certain cancers, osteoporosis, diabetes. The major diseases of our society may be caused in part by what we eat. I first woke up, so to speak, when I was working on the anesthesia service, learning how to put people to sleep. And I was seeing my patients for the next day's surgery for coronary artery bypass surgery in order to bypass clogged arteries in their heart. Because it was late at night, I drew the man's blood test, and when I took the blood to the laboratory and had it processed, I couldn't believe my eyes. Now, normally, this liquid layer floating on top of the blood clot is quite transparent. It's yellow, but quite clear. You can see right through it. The blood in this patient's tube, however, was anything but clear. The serum floating on his clot was thick and greasy white. It looked like glue. In fact, it stuck to the sides of the blood tube when I shook the tube. I went back to the patient. I said, Mr. Phillips, did you eat before you came to the hospital tonight? He said, yes. I said, what did you have? He said, I had a cheeseburger and a milkshake. And when he said that, I realized that what I was looking at in his tube was all the fat in the beef burger, all the butter fat in the cheese and the butter fat in the ice cream and in the milkshake. And all this fat had oozed out into his blood and actually turned his blood fatty. Well, 30, 40, 50 years of keeping your blood very fatty creates changes in the blood vessels that are very dangerous. Over the years, arteries can become clogged with fatty material. Then a blood clot can form, blocking the blood flow completely. If the artery leads to the heart, the lack of oxygen can cause heart muscle to die. That's a heart attack. If the clogged artery leads to the brain, the patient has a stroke. The next morning, we took Mr. Phillips to the operating room, and I put him to sleep, and the surgeon opened up his chest. And from these arteries, he began pulling out yellow, greasy deposits of fatty material called atherosclerosis. Nothing is more frustrating than being on a roadway. All right, we get the lights. Or barely move. It's pretty stunning. Pretty stunning information, isn't it? If you're going to show that at a supper club, um, (laughs) you might want to do it after people have had their meal. (laughs) Let me just... uh, Right. Okay, I don't want this to get overheated. Will it be okay like that, do you think? Here, what I'll do is I'll open this and do that. Put it out of ways. Okay. 
That should be okay, huh? You think? All right. Anytime you do a Lifestyle Matters program, we always have good interactive work to do. We're going to do some, I actually got some notebooks for our groups today so that uh, you will have something to write on as you do your cogitating and figuring and presenting. Yes. What is this? Attendance? Oh. A list of who? These people? Oh, okay. Oh, how many people do we have getting CEUs? There wasn't. Weren't you? You're not getting CEUs? So we, didn't, we have, do not need to worry about the bureaucracy today. Okay. So we, we want to do a lot that engages our, the, the people that, that come to programs. There's nothing worse than just sitting and listening and listening and listening and listening, and then, and then you leave, and how much do we really retain? It's, it's really challenging. So we, we want to use as many types of media and interaction as we can when we do a program, and every Lifestyle Matters program has this interactive feature. And today, uh, yesterday we talked about sugar and concentrated sugar. And by the way, how many of you have seen the 64-ounce Big Gulp? The big gulp drinks. That is a half a gallon of liquid, and kids love these because in the summertime, you buy your cup for $4, and then for the rest of the summer, for 99 cents, you can fill that thing. And I've seen them at the, mach- at the fountain machine taking a few sips and then filling, 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 and those uh, drinks contain 45 teaspoons of sugar and 135 grams just of fructose, one type of sugar, fructose. And that's the worst for the liver, it's worse for diabetes when it's refined and concentrated. And so, uh, do you know how many peaches that you would have to eat to get 135 grams of fructose in one sitting? Anybody want to hazard a guess? (laughs) Not that many. But you'd have to eat 33 peaches. A lowly peach only has four grams, and when I do programs for the public, I will bring a big bowl of peaches and have it covered. And I'll have my big gulp cup there because it's stunning when you see a bowl of peaches this big that you would fill with like a popcorn bowl. So a peach has four grams, a banana has seven, and an apple has nine. Very, a very comfortable amount of fructose, and it's attached with fiber and antioxidants and, and that type of thing. But today we're talking about dietary fat. And we're going to be using our handouts in an exercise that you're going to be doing after this, so you'll want to pay a little bit of attention to the numbers. Um, remember, does anybody remember how many grams uh, in a teaspoon? How many grams of sugar? Four. One teaspoon. Very good. Did anybody have occasion to look at a label yesterday? Were you out and about? And Did you? Fruit jam. Fruit jam, okay. And how many grams in a serving? Three grams, so almost a teaspoon. About teaspoon for teaspoon on a piece of toast. Okay. Uh, a, a fruit on the bottom yogurt is about 28 grams. So, yeah, we, we, when, even with our soy yogurts, I'll put a tablespoon uh, of, of yogurt on some fruit. And, and it's, it's a nice food, but, again, it's, a constant, it's pretty concentrated. We're not saying that you should get all... Uh, free sugar out of your diet, but we we really do ramp it up. We can tally it up quite quickly, and the same applies to fat. So fat's a little bit different. Uh, There are 5 grams of fat in a teaspoon, 15 grams in a tablespoon. This is 15 grams of fat that you are looking at. Now, in an 8-ounce steak about this big, about the size of a deck of cards, there 
there are 60 grams of fat, 60 grams of fat in a steak. So this is 15, and now we have how much? 30. 30. And now we have how much? 45. And now we have 60. Now, aren't you glad I didn't call you up to be a volunteer today? <laughs> this, is, this is 60 grams of fat. It's the same amount of fat that you would find in a cheeseburger and fries. It's the same amount of fat that you would find in six handfuls of Frida, Fritos. It's about the amount of fries that you would find in some of these bakery items, like a cinnamon roll. It's the same amount of fat that you would find in four slices of cheese pizza. 60 grams of fat. No meat on it, just cheese. By the way, I went to Publix this morning to get these items, and I asked the lady if I could please have a pizza box for a nutrition program. And you don't ever want to ask that, because she said, why, no, it has our name on it. And, I, and so I, I said, but I just need it to give some nutrition information. And she said, no, it has our name on it. I said, all right, I want a cheese pizza in a box. So I had to buy the pizza. And then I asked her, I made the mistake of asking the same girl for a bag. I said, can I have a bag? She said, no. <laughs> so I said, all right, I'll take a donut. And I want it in a bag. <laughs> and so I bought this stuff. And I got to the checkout stand, and the, the little grocer was bagging this stuff. And, and I was telling him, that I was using this for a nutrition feature and that they wouldn't give me the boxes. And uh, I said, well, this cheese pizza doesn't look too bad. It doesn't look like it has gobs of stuff on it. And he said, oh, he said, wait till you heat it, heat it up. He said, the fat just oozes. <laughs> now, do you remember yesterday when we did the, um, the demonstration of the wine glass full of sugar with a soda pop and a Snickers bar? If you have a burger and fries and a soft drink or a burger, fries, soft drink, and this candy bar, you must now add another 15 grams of fat. So 75 grams of fat in just one meal. What do you think this does to the school kids? Where, the bus, where now they, can, they have vending in the schools with Wendy's and pizza and these kinds of items. Do you think this just might give you an afternoon slump after you've had a meal like that? And we're going to learn some interesting facts today about how this interacts, how these types of foods actually interact with nutrient absorption, <coughs> utilization, and retention. Nutrition is a three-legged stool. I have done every diet in the world. We've done the skip the meal diet and eat the cheesecake diet and take a vitamin. It doesn't work because nutrients compete with other elements in the diet for access. And so we want to maximize the absorption, utilization, and retention of those nutrients. As I said yesterday, FAT is not spelled 
BAD. We need fat in the diet. What are some reasons that we need fat? Right. There are certain dietary fats that we actually must have as added source of fat in the diet. The omega-3 fats, which we will be discussing, are one of them. Fats are they're insulating. They are precursors to very powerful hormones that regulate metabolism and body chemistry and cellular chemistry. The cells of, of your body are made up of what are called bilipid layers. They're made up of fat. And the fat that we eat alters the composition, structure, and function of those cells. It affects how permeable, how electric, and how conductive those cells are. In fact, we're going to learn today that this type of fat is pro-pain, pro-inflammation, and there's when I, the reason I'm doing this is because there is a linear relationship between this type of dietary fat, the cellular composition, and chronic depression. So there's a link. Is it the only thing that causes depression? No. But is it something that we need to be aware of, that there are clinical consequences for a high-fat diet? Now, these types of fats, and also um, certain fats, are, are needed to produce certain, certain vitamins and, and to carry them into the bloodstream, especially the carotenoids. So Getting these fats into the system requires fatty acids in the diet. Now, the, the, the healthy fats, the healthful fats, are going to have a cholesterol-lowering effect. They're going to have an immune-boosting effect. Actually, the omega-3 fats, because they are anti-inflammatory, they actually have an immune-enhancing effect and have an LDL-lowering effect. L is for lousy, H is for happy. You know, we want the HDL-LDL ratios to be in a healthful balance. And when the cells are made up of more of these kinds of fats, the monounsaturated fats and the polyunsaturated fats, omega-3s are a polyunsaturated fat, when we have more of those kinds of fats in the diet, the cells are more permeable, they're more flexible, they're more fluid, they're more electric, they're more conductive, so we can think better. And really interesting... Baseline levels of cortisol. Remember we talked about cortisol yesterday and high-stress diet? We're going to have that PowerPoint today. I shortened it a bit, but we're going to do that. I cut out some of the fluff, and we're just going to do a shortened version of this. But anyway, baseline levels of cortisol are higher on a high-fat diet. What does that mean? That means for the person that is overweight for the person that is diabetic, for the person who has chronic inflammation, elevated cortisol levels, insulin resistance, pre-diabetes, for these people, when they are their very calmest, cortisol levels are high. Why are they high? Because of insulin resistance. How many of you have heard of that term, insulin resistance? The way that insulin resistance works, insulin is like a grocery boy that carries the groceries to the cells. What are the groceries? The groceries are fuel. Glucose is the fuel for the cells. But what happens when a person is insulin resistant, the insulin is no longer effective at carrying the glucose into the cells or opening the door latches. Can't find the the doorbell. 
So the grocery boys keep calling for more grocery boys to try to find the doorbell to get the fuel into the cells or the groceries into the house, and it just doesn't work. And finally, over a continuum of time, you develop what's called glucose intolerance or full-blown diabetes. Now you're on insulin instead of a hypo oral hypoglycemic. It's a really serious condition, and in fact, we know that 80% of uh, diabetics are overweight and that this is the direct cause of insulin resistance. However, you can be skinny as a stick and have the same problem. In fact, there's something called normal weight obesity where the ratio of lean muscle mass to body fat is too low. And so you don't have enough lean muscle mass, you have more body fat, and even though you're a normal body weight, you are at risk for the same 30 plus chronic diseases that afflict the person who has full-blown uh, problems with obesity or diabetes. And so it has been estimated that 40% of normal weight people have normal weight obesity. So if you are sedentary, just being sedentary doubles your risk of diabetes. We're going to talk about insulin resistance tomorrow and diabetes and overweight and food addictions because it's the number one addiction. It's the addiction that often drives all other addictions. And so I, I think we need to understand some of the mechanics of how this works because we have to use every tool in the box to help people to recover the, the lost control over, over appetite. So anyway, um, what happens when you have these elevated cortisol levels, it's really part of tomorrow's lecture. So we're going to explain tomorrow how it is, and it just seems so unfair that just being stressed can cause some people to gain weight. Have you ever read that in the paper? Just being, it's not fair, but it's true if you're insulin resistant. And tomorrow we will explain why that's true because if I explain it now, then we're going to be way off schedule and not get to uh, hear the things from Jerry that we are working up to today. So, oh, I didn't tell you about the healthy fats. And I'm going to take a moment to do that. The healthful fats have a very beneficial effect, not only in satiety, but all in, what is satiety? Yeah, you're the meal satisfying when it has some good fats. And it actually assists blood chemistry. Having a, a bit more fat in the diet helps with weight loss. But we have to remember that fat calories are twice as fattening as carbohydrate calories. It's nine calories per gram versus four calories per, per gram. But some of the healthful fats are, as we said, your uh, omega-3 fatty acids. And just one ounce of walnuts a day, just a little handful like this, and I travel with these, just one ounce, about this much, is going to give you 1,200 milligrams of omega-3 fatty acids and cut your risk by a heart attack for a heart attack by 50%. If you don't do anything else, if you don't lose weight, if you don't exercise, if you don't do anything, and not that we're recommending that, but you cut your risk of a heart attack, this one thing, just some kind of nut. And, and really interesting is that 
nuts are very, a form of very highly solubilized fiber. So they actually slow the digestive process, keep the food in the stomach and duodenum longer, enhance mineral and vitamin absorption. So you're maximizing nutrient intake when you have these highly solubilized fibers. And we will talk more about that today. So some of the other sources of the fats that are more healthy, you have spreads like this that have canola. Canola is an omega-3 fatty acid. And um, peanuts, if you're going to eat peanut butter, you just want peanuts and salt, period. That's it. We don't need all the, the sugar and hydrogenated or fractionated fats. The monounsaturated fats we find in olives, avocados, and extra virgin olive oil. Extra virgin olive oil has 31 different antioxidants, including hydroxytyrosol, which softens arterial walls. One of the reasons that the Mediterranean diet is so effective. The, the aging brain is made up largely of these monounsaturated fatty acids, and so it actually assists the aging brain in, remain, in maintaining its flexibility. I went to a, the, uh, it was in Montreal, the, the International Oil Chemists Symposium, and I went there because I wanted to go to the seminars on omega-3 fatty acids and the monounsaturated uh, fatty acids, the olive oil. And the olive oil seminar was dominated by Greeks and Italians, and they were just so passionate. And the Italian was up there giving this lecture on olive oil, and he mentioned that olive oil has a low burning point, so it smokes if you try to fry with olive oil. And the Greek scientist jumped out of his chair and he said, that's a lie! And they were just fighting back and forth. It was the most exciting seminar I have ever, ever attended. It was just thrilling. Then I went to the um, omega-3 fatty acid seminar, and that was very interesting where I learned about the link between the omega-3 fatty acid content in cells, the, in the outer layers of these cells, and the, the link between inflammation, pain, and clinical depression. I also signed up for 25 extra dollars to go to an SDA awards banquet, a breakfast, and I thought, wow, what if Seventh-day Adventists done in the field of lipid research? This is fascinating, I couldn't wait to go. So I paid the $25, and I went into the breakfast, and I noticed that the first thing I saw was that there was sausage on the tables. And I thought, well, okay, <laughs> you know, there's Adventists, and then, I guess you got another variety. I don't know. But here I was at this SDA awards banquet. I sat down to uh, listen to the presentation for what our researchers have done. And I found out that morning that SDA also stands for the Suds and Detergent Association. So I heard a lecture about detergent. And... Uh, but, but the, the, what I came away with was a lot of information about detergent, but I also understand that the type of dietary fats that we consume do have a cleansing effect. The foods that we encourage people to utilize do have a cleansing, detoxifying, antioxidant effect. So let them take care of the outside. We'll take care of the inside. Don't sign up for the next SDA awards breakfast that you hear about unless you investigate a little more closely. It was worth the $25 just to get a laugh out of it. <laughs> okay, so what we're going to do now, are there any questions? We'll, we'll talk more about dietary fat as we go on. I'm going to uh, put this up right now. It's a modified version of the Simple Solutions slideshow that you can use when you do your own program on diet and stress. 
and uh, I just shortened it up a bit, which you probably would want to do if you're holding a program as well. We always give you a little extra. And uh, it's one of my favorite lectures, actually. I, I could just talk way too long on this. We're talking about diet and stress. Is what you're eating eating you? The information is, that I am sharing with you is all very well documented in uh, this book. And again, in the Diet and Stress Simple Solutions, and in our first edition of this book, we did the photo shoot and... Uh, sorry to go back and forth like that. We did the photo shoot and uh, Dexter uh, did not show up on time. And so we grabbed Lael Caesar from the hall took a picture of his body and then grafted Dexter's head. Uh, and so that is the ultimate stress relief, is just get a head transplant. But we can't offer that here. Nor can we tell you that when you leave this room, you're not going to have any more problems or challenges. Uh, but we can promise you that when you engage in the dietary and lifestyle practices that God has given, your susceptibility to a stress response will go down. We can promise you that when stress does occur, you will have the brain stuff to handle it. We want you to be resilient. I wish that joy and happiness was the opposite of depression, but it isn't. It's resiliency. It's the ability to bounce and think and solve problems. And so, no, we're not going to walk around joyful all the time. It's like a sign I saw on an executive's desk that said, you're smiling because you don't understand the situation. And I think that's absolutely correct. However, a good diet and lifestyle are going to empower us. Not only that, it works at the biochemical level to not only turn down that hair trigger response to stress that can occur, but it also lowers the, the intensity of the stress response how long it lasts, and how much damage it does on the end or at the end organ, whether that the end organ is a muscle or your heart tissue or your brain or, or uh, whatever it is. So that's what we're going to take a quick look at today. Anxiety is in the news. Uh, it has a sculpting effect on the brain. And I really appreciated the way Skip talked yesterday about perception and how so much of our stress is from the way we perceive. And that's why I'm so thankful for God helping us to learn how to perceive things differently as we spend time with him in his word. Antidepressant use is up 75% since 1996. 80% of people are stressed about money. 60% of people that you walk around with in society are Angry and irritable. Do you think that's even higher today, probably? I think so. 53% report frequent fatigue. 50, more than half suffer from insomnia. Half have headaches, upset stomachs, muscle tension, and half report overeating fatty, unhealthy food because it does give a hit to the brain, just like a cigarette does. When, when someone decides to to quit smoking, uh, the average smoker is getting two to 300 hits to the brain every day. And when we're running around eating these, you know, ding-dongs and donuts and candy bars and things like that, we're getting hits to the brain as well. And it has a very profound effect on depression levels, serotonin, dopamine, and the addiction pathways in the brain. Now, this is interesting. Stress warning signs should be ringing all over the place, 
But one of the interesting facts is that while the majority of Americans think they're managing stress well, they're actually reporting physical symptoms. It's been reported that 9 out of 10 visits to the doctor are stress-related. And I can certainly uh, relate to that myself after the loss of my husband. I know that my stress levels, I'm really thankful for an amazing diet and for exercise, but even with all of that, it, 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 it's really, I don't know what people would do who didn't have that foundation, the foundation of having God and exercising and, and just eating proper foods. Because when you're under severe stress, you don't even, sometimes people don't even have an appetite, which I didn't. So I knew to eat that handful of nuts and those berries. And I was on automatic pilot. You know, what you learn in the daylight is what you're going to take with you into the dark. If you think that all of a sudden when you're under stress and having crises and problems that now you're going to start praying and having worship and eating right and getting out to walk, it's just simply not going to happen. What we are learning now, you will, whatever you're doing now, you will do automatically when you're under a severe crisis, when the plank is knocked out from under you. So I really exhort people, get on a healthy program now so that you will be, when you're on automatic pilot, you'll be headed in the right direction. Uh, 20 million adults, actually 20 million teens also suffer from clinical depression each year. And the cost is about $44 billion a year. How living with fear affects mind as well as body, the immune system, and uh, actually the, the brain as well is affected by how we treat our bodies. And when we do our session on the brain-body connection, you will be amazed to learn more in more detail how the 50 neurochemicals in the brain that we think of as modulating mood and emotion are made, stored, and secreted by the GI tract, the respiratory system, and the mobile cells of the immune system. So when you treat your body right, messengers of peace go to your brain to assist you in the struggle. Aren't you thankful for a God like that? Wow. Just knowing that the medicine is in the walk or in these different things. And I'm not going to stand here and say that there's never a place for a pharmaceutical intervention. Uh, sometimes people are in such shape that that is necessary to create a pathway of just momentary or temporary elevation of serotonin so that these people uh, can even begin to think or, or face their challenges. Uh, it is known, though, that the exercise will enhance the effects of those antidepressants and begin to work in two days instead of two to three weeks. So there are some really interesting comparisons, and we'll talk more about that. How would you rate yourself? on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 uh, being low and 10 being high. I mean, you don't have to raise your hand or say anything, but really, how would you rate yourself knowing that chronic stress really, really plays games with nutrient metabolism? And the stress book has a whole chapter or two on how nutrient metabolism, actually, when we're chronically stressed and even eating good food, it's kind of like uh, burning... Uh, paper in your fireplace instead of wood. It's just not, our, our metabolism isn't really efficient. And we've, we've read in Spirit of Prophecy how it's not a really good thing to even eat when you're so stressed, that we should make sure that the conversation is nice when we're eating because it can impair nutrient absorption and metabolism. This was an unheard of com, uh, concept in her days. Both my kids are ER nurses, and when they eat at the same table with me in my house, 
we have a rule. We can talk about broccoli. We can talk about cars. We can talk about all kinds of things, table settings, Martha Stewart, you name it, we'll talk about it. But not what they did last night in the emergency room. It's just awful. It's nothing to them. It doesn't stress them, but it, it really may, turns my stomach. I, went, met, I met one man that uh, said he, that he had, was a 10 on the stress scale. He said, lady, I ain't never in a hurry. He lived in North Carolina. And in North Carolina, we lived a mile up a mountain on 16 acres with a little creek going beneath our port. We lived in a holler. We lived in Hog Waller. And I asked one of the locals, why is this place called Hog Waller? The woman was 100 years old. She said, because the hogs waller up there. That's why. <laughs> I, I felt so dumb. She said, these people with PhDs are dumber than a rock. <laughs> She's probably right. There was mule stomp, possum, possum trot, and lick skillet. I lived right in that area there. Anyway, there was a dump. I would have loved, our ministry was called Let's Eat. I wish we had lived in Lick Skillet. That would have just been <laughs> fabulous. But anyway, we were in Hogwaller. Um, anyway, there was a dump where everybody met. It was where all the social things took place. In fact, the sheriff uh, campaigned there in his overalls. And so every week we would take our trash to this dump. And one week I went into the little drive area. You'd drive in this way, and then there was an in and an out, and then they had the gates. So I drove in, but my, my, a girlfriend of mine was driving out the same thing, and so we stopped our cars, and we talked for probably 15 minutes. Well, I never looked in my rearview mirror, and I didn't realize that there was a man in a pickup truck behind me. And uh, when I realized what I had done, that I'd actually blocked his way for all that time, I came back into the little area, and I, I ran up to him, and I said, sir, I said, I, 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 I was so thoughtless. I'm very sorry that I blocked the way to the dump. And he was actually really, truly chewing on a piece of straw. And uh, he rolled the, the window down, and he said, lady, I ain't never in a hurry, especially when the women folks get to talking. And he just sat there obediently and waited. That man probably eats six hen fruit a day. What's a hen fruit? It's an egg. That's what they call them. He probably eats six hen fruit a day and uh, Farmer John's sausage. He probably lived to be who knows, uh, just because he ain't never in a hurry. <laughs> Stress has, is actually an engineering term. It's uh, been described as disequilibrium or threatened homeostasis. Uh, probably an easier term for us to understand is it's the sum total of our responses to various stressors. And those are going to be different for different people, aren't they? Different things make different people nervous. Uh, a, a, stress, a, stress comes in, a stressor comes in various flavors. It can be emotional, chemical. What would be an example of some chemical stressor, a chemical stressor? We, we talked about it yesterday, didn't we? A psychopharmacologic dose of a nutrient, a sugar and... I have one picture on here, I cut it out, but it's a picture here, this big picture of these, do you see these bean-looking things? And it's with the chemical picture, and I asked the audience one time, what is that? And the lady said, pinto beans. <laughs> but they're not, it's coffee beans. Uh, emotional, chemical, physical stressor. A physical stressor could be uh, a, a, a broken bone or a fever. Environmental, noise is a stressor. It actually causes magnesium loss. Cold is a stressor. Symbolic, you know, the sight of, uh, of a, a New York skyline will create 
special type of stress for survivors of 9-11 and spiritual stressor. I asked in class one time, what is a spiritual, an example of a spiritual stressor? And I was thinking of uh, colds and flu that, that occur when we're guilty, when we feel guilty over doing wrong or when we have hostility, those kinds of things are called spiritual stressors. But a pastor was in the class and he said, my church is a spiritual stressor. <laughs> so I hope that's none of us. Anyway, chronic stress, and this doesn't surprise anybody, can result in feelings of fatigue, lack of energy, irritability, demoralization. What is demoralization? It's the opposite of hope. So one of our first jobs is to inspire people with hope. You can do this. You may not be able to do it all, but you can do one thing, and I'm your friend. Whether you accomplish it perfectly or not, we're together. Don't you love it when somebody is the, just like the wings beneath you, the, the wind at your back to give you some loft when you've messed up, when you've made a mistake? All right, let's talk about this crosstalk. The two major stress adaptive systems, the neuroendocrine system and the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and the immune system. The, it's very difficult to talk just about immune health or just about stress system health. The reason is, is because the two are inextricably bound, like your right arm and your left arm. In fact, they're continually communicating with one another. We have a pretty good section about this on the, in the book. How many of you have ever been on a teeter-totter or a seesaw? Does anybody remember those? I don't know if they have them anymore. I don't know if you have, you know, OSHA, if you have to have a seat belt and a helmet and, you know, but in the old days, in the old days, your brother would be on one and you'd come and run and you'd, you'd land on it and he'd go flying across the yard and then you'd get in trouble and you have to sweep the porch or, you know, whatever the thing is. But if we were to think of the immune system, the immune system and the endocrine, uh, the um, nervous system as the two parts of a teeter-totter, balancing one another, if the uh, nervous system is hyperactive, hypercortisolism that occurs with insulin resistance, for instance, as an example, chronic stress system activity. You can have chronic stress system activity going on and not feel stressed. It can be induced by diet. So if it's a teeter-totter model and stress system activity is high, What's happening to immune function? It's depressed. On the other hand, let's say like an alternator that burns out, you know, and now the stress system is underactive, hypocortisolism, and now what's happened to the immune system? It compensates by becoming hyperactive. So there are specific diseases that are associated with these two conditions uh, for the hyper cortisolism, hyperactive stress system activity is associated with insulin resistance, heart disease, mid-body obesity, uh, certain types of depression, and the list is in, is in the book. It's quite a few. Now, on the other hand, for the overactive immune system, we have more of the autoimmune type syndromes, chronic fatigue, post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, rheumatoid arthritis, these kinds of things. Now, the good news is, is that we don't have two different complete ways of approaching the healing of these systems, the balancing of these systems. Guess what? It's all the same.
Isn't that wonderful? And in fact, uh, when, the, when these two systems are out of balance, it does have a pretty profound effect on the brain. And one of the first lines of attack is aerobic exercise because it causes something called cerebral lateralization. When we get too much blood flow on one side of the brain, it creates a depression and, and inactivity in certain parts of the brain, overactivity in other parts of the brain, so the stress system is overworked. And when we get a good aerobic activity, then, um, then it actually lateralizes the brain and begins to build new cells in the brain. How many of you want some new cells in the brain? Actually, we have a... Uh, a fitness expert who is going to come tomorrow and she is going to lead us in a 10-minute uh, uh, workout. We can, we can do some toning and some aerobics, so uh, don't come in your spike heels tomorrow. Uh, <laughs> we're going to, to learn. <laughs> what did you say? Too, too bad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so the systems under attack with when these systems are out of whack are the heart is affected, blood vessels actually increasing inflammation and arterial plaque, and muscles, glands, and the brain as well as overall the entire nervous system. Now, eating right is just as important as managing stress because vulnerability to stress does what with a poor diet? It actually increases. In fact, there are some very fascinating uh, studies that have been done by some Japanese researchers which show that when we have a diet high in carotenoids, people think of carotenoids, they think of what vegetable? Carrots, right. But there are actually 500 different carotenoids in the plant kingdom, in the red, yellow, green, orange, fruits and vegetables. And when we have high blood levels of these carotenoids, it actually lowers sleeplessness, restlessness, irritability, and, and it turns the volume down on the trigger in the hypothalamus that starts the whole stress cascade. It has a, it's a calming diet. And when your brain is calmer, and when your nervous system is calmer, and when the cortisol levels are down, guess what? You can learn better and solve problems better. Look at Daniel. Ten days on a high carotenoid diet and three years on this diet, they were what? Ten times wiser and stronger. Their brains were more resilient. They were better able to handle difficulties and problems. What did they say when they were confronted with a religious issue? We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. But if not, we will not bow down and worship the idol which thou hast set up. No cheeseburger went before that, I tell you. They had been thinking. They had been praying. It takes brain power to study. It takes brain power to solve problems. It takes brain power to learn. It's not all about just having nice feelings from eating right. We need to be able to think. Because lots of bad stuff happens, like uh, you shared yesterday when you shared the answer to question number five. A faulty diet can certainly be a what? A source of stress. Stress can lead to poor dietary habits, so it's a vicious cycle. The effects of chronic stress are what? Exacerbated by a rich diet. We talked about cortisol. Tomorrow, we're really going to get into it. Diets high in simple sugars, processed refined foods, saturated animal fat, 
One of the uh, byproducts of saturated animal fat is what is called arachidonic acid, actually the omega-6 fatty acids when we have too much of the oils in the diet or too much, uh, when we have these animal products, they are high in what is called preformed arachidonic acid. Your body, when you take a vegetable oil, like a canola oil or a safflower oil, your body changes that fatty acid into other fats. And arachidonic acid is one of those fatty acids that is uh, produced in this biochemical process, this saturation or desaturation and elongation of these fatty acid chains. Well, they, they create very powerful hormone precursors called prostaglandins, which are involved in inflammation and pain. And so when the cells are saturated with arachidonic acid, then when you have a stress response, all kinds of pro-inflammatory molecules are released from the cell, which enhance pain, enhance inflammation, and now, for reasons that are not quite fully understood, enhance uh, the risk for depression as, as well. So even with the omega-3 fats, people will say, well, isn't it better just to have fish? Well, when you take fish, you're getting another preformed fatty acid. The omega-3 fatty acid is alpha-linolenic acid. And when you take it in the form of flax seed, which I failed to mention over here as a wonderful source of omega-3, when you take flax seed or walnuts or anything, you are taking this fatty acid, which is going to desaturate and elongate and become other fatty acids, one of which is DHA. The other one is EPA, very important for the retina and the brain. Uh, mothers which are deficient in omega-3 fatty acids when they nurse their babies, the baby's brains are exponentially lower in the omega-3s. They're very, very prone to attention deficit, all kinds of learning problems. And so, well, maybe I should take fish because it has preformed DHA and EPA. You see, it has the preformed fatty acid. And you know what? Some people do not convert the vegetable fats real well. And yes, they do need a preformed fatty acid. And so there are cases where it can be very helpful. However, anytime you take a preformed fatty acid, i.e., the arachidonic acid in the meat or the omega 3s in the fish, you are bypassing metabolic controls. And when you bypass metabolic controls, then you can create excesses which can create metabolic consequences. So how can you have a metabolic consequence from eating too much fish? How could it possibly be bad if EPA and DHA are so good for the brain and so good for lowering inflammation and so good at replacing cells with the more flexible and less inflammatory prostaglandin precursors? If it's so much better, why not just have a lot of fish to get those fatty acids preformed? You get 100 times more when you get the fish than when you take the walnut and your brain and your body has to make the omega-3. Well, here's the reason why. In Japan, before McDonald's was exported over there and all these different things, Japanese had to import cadavers to see what heart disease looked like, to see what clogged arteries looked like. They didn't have people having that over there, but they did have something else from too much fish, and it's called hemorrhagic stroke. The blood became too thin. And their problem with hem hemorrhagic stroke was equivalent to our problem with plaque from the saturated fats. So anytime you have an excess of preformed 
it's the same with vitamins and minerals. You know, people think, well, a little bit is good. A lot must be better. So you have people taking huge amounts of vitamin E, for instance. They think it's going to help with heart disease. But the truth is there are seven different types of vitamin E in the plant, in the leafy greens and in the plant foods. Seven types. And when you get too much of one, it actually blocks the uh, access of those others and be, to, to the cells. And it now, now it's acting as a pro-oxidant and it's pro-cancerous. So you see, God has packaged the food for us, hasn't he? Well, we're just going to take another minute or two here. I don't want to spend too much time on uh, PowerPoints uh, because we want to have our break at the proper time. Uh, we're doing pretty good here, uh, Jerry, actually, aren't we? You're rolling You think? Caffeine, alcohol, same thing, high stress. So what happens is we feel crummy. You know, we're hanging out at uh, Dunkin' Donuts because we're stressed, can't think, can't solve problems. So then what happens, it actually increases the stress response and it drains the reserves that you do have because it takes a number of different minerals and vitamins to, uh, to bring you into equilibrium when you are stressed. It uses magnesium and about six different vitamins and minerals to produce energy. By the way, magnesium is such an important anti-stress mineral. Really, magnesium is essential for more than 350 cellular functions. It is critical for energy production, muscle, uh, muscle um, formation, and uh, headache, uh, muscle pain. Some of you people that are in physical therapy and, and that you you know this how important magnesium is. And very, very high calcium levels in the diet can inhibit magnesium. High fat diet inhibits magnesium and stress depletes it. So I'm always looking for greens when I travel. Greens, 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 leafy greens. Anything that you eat that is green except jelly beans, anything from the plant kingdom that's green is going to have magnesium because magnesium is essential for uh, um, photosynthesis to take place. So get that magnesium. And brain drain is a result when we have this depleted cycle going on. Any nutrient deficiency can result in impaired mental function. So we want a good balance in the diet. Nutrition has three legs. I've already mentioned it, but if you don't remember anything else from this class today, I want you to remember this, that we want to maximize absorption, utilization, and retention of nutrients. And in order to do that, you want your nutrients in the right ratios. And they occur in the right ratios in nature. For instance, copper and zinc. If you look in a uh, periodical table, in a chemistry book, you will notice that copper and zinc have almost the same molecular weight. And they compete for the same receptor sites on cells. So if you're taking a bunch of zinc because you think it's going to keep you from getting the flu or a sore throat, then you can actually develop some blood disorders, some anemia. On the other hand, junk food, and it's, I don't understand the reasons why I haven't researched this, but people that eat a lot of junk food and soda pop have very high copper levels, and zinc is very low, and it can lead to aggression. So we want the nutrients packaged as nature has given them. Doesn't that look beautiful? Your fabulous forgotten friend, fiber, fiber. When people leave my classes, I want them to remember one word. What is it? Fiber. I want them to talk to me about fiber. I have them report to me about fiber. And we think about fiber a lot. Actual average intake is about 10 grams a day. Children are getting less than 1% of recommended intake. 
But what does a 10-gram day look like? Well, I'm not going to go through this with you because we're going to do an exercise. I don't want you to see this. I'm going to go through because we're going to do... What we really want is 50 grams a day, but I'm not going to... Okay, here we are. Hmm? Oh, you did? <laughs> that is so wrong. You should have told me. <laughs> okay. Oh, good. Well, I'll talk to you after class. That was like putting a spider in the teacher's cup or something. <laughs> That's a wonderful uh, lentil stew that we, that we have in the cookbook. It's delicious. We call it Persian lentil stew. I have no idea if it's Persian, but we glam up the names, and uh, they taste better when you give them a nice name. This is that Japanese study I was telling you about that a person who eats green or yellow vegetables every day shows a lower incidence of stress syndrome, irritation, sleeplessness than one who does not eat them every day. So we want to get the balance of dietary fiber, healthy proteins, fat, and carbohydrate in the diet. The average American is getting about 10 grams a day. We want you to get between 45 and 50 grams a day. Okay, so we're going to stop here and do a little exercise. Are we ready, everyone? Let's get back in your chairs and have someone to report. We're starting with, and what we're going to look at now, we're doing, you've heard of rough justice. This is rough calculating. But we just want to do some estimating here and just kind of get a ballpark look at what some of the components of some typical meals might be. Okay, so we're, we're looking at a tip, breakfast number one, typical breakfast, breakfast number two, uh, a healthier breakfast, protein, fat, sugar, and fiber content. So remember, this isn't going to be published in a book. We're just doing a little guessing here. Okay, so for our typical breakfast, what, uh, what do we have? Who, you want to report? Yeah. Okay, coffee. Okay. Donut. Okay, a donut. Uh, sausage McMuffin. A coffee, donut, sausage McMuffin. Uh, fried eggs and bacon. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, this is just yeah, hey, it's, it's true. I've seen it. When I stand in line at McDonald's to get my sample things, I've oh. seen it. Okay, so we have what now? Say coffee, donut, sausage, sausage, sausage. okay, McMuffin. That's an egg McMuffin. That would be an egg McMuffin. With cheese, with cheese and ham. Okay. And I have seen this. Okay. Any, that's it, right? Usually, usually we would add an orange juice to this. Okay. I've seen a 32-ounce orange juice. Um, you know, they used to give you orange juice. Some of you are old enough to remember, like I am. They used to give you orange juice in a little 4-ounce. Now they're 32. And they fill up every time you walk by. You know, and, and I've been where I can't get any fruit or anything. My husband and I were at an airport trying to eat a little bit, get some. And I finally, I, told, I was taught to eat and drink everything put before me. I kept trying to drink this up. Finally, I told the waitress, are you trying to kill us? Do you give free ambulance rides with this? Stop already with the orange juice. Okay, so what we're looking at here with the sausage, the McMuffin, the cheese, we're looking at a good 80 grams of fat. Okay, so, oh, no, actually, we're, yeah, probably 90 grams with the donut. We'll, we'll assume it's a small, uh, with the sausage and the McMuffin, well, 
it's, it's got to be 95 grams of fat at least, and, and I'm being conservative there. So 95 grams of fat with the orange juice, uh, that's going to be about 20 teaspoons of sugar. The donut's going to be about another 15, so that's 35 grams of sugar. Okay, well, the sugar, okay, you know, that's a teaspoon too. But anyway, that, the, the caffeine's going to elevate blood sugar. And when we look at the um, fiber content of this meal, unless you eat a little bit of the bag, you're really not going to be getting maybe one to two grams of fiber in that entire meal, but you're getting 95, probably 100 grams of fat. Uh, protein content, I'm not sure. You're probably, yeah, in the ham, you're probably getting 100, 100 grams of protein, maybe more. So you're getting a wallop of fat and sugar and very, very low, uh, very, very low fiber. Well, I, you know, I could calculate the calories, but it's a lot. Okay, well, we're probably looking at 2,300 calories, maybe so 2,500. Okay. Yeah, a day's worth at least in this, yeah. When they serve the orange juice, do they put extra sugar in? No, no, it's just, it's from concentrate, you know. So, okay, <clears throat> breakfast number two. It's you. All right. Okay, but what we would like a tip of a breakfast. Oh, great. How much? One or two cups? One cup? Okay, hold on. Okay, I love this. Four grams of fiber. Okay. Okay, that's three grams of fiber if it's good whole wheat. Okay, that's another uh, apple or orange or both? Okay, that's three grams. Wonderful. One ounce, that's six grams, five to six grams. Okay, and you've got uh, in your walnuts, you've got, I don't know how many grams, uh, maybe 50 grams of fat, maybe, no, 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 maybe 40. But it's, it's good fat, folks. It's anti-inflammatory fat. So you're going to have fat. You're getting protein. You're getting adequate protein in the oatmeal and the nuts. Uh, you didn't have any added sugar in this, in this particular breakfast. Um, we, we, put, we could put a banana in our oatmeal, though. You put a banana in the oatmeal. Okay, so that's another three grams of fiber. So how much fiber in this breakfast? If you want to have 50 grams in a day or at least... 45, you want to have how much at each meal? If you're going to break it up, how many grams of fiber do you want in each meal? You want at least 15. Do we have 15 here? Four, let's see, that's 10, 16, 19. So that's wonderful. And you have antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, nutrients. You have protein. Hopefully you would have uh, maybe a glass of soy milk or something. That would give you another 8 grams of protein, which would be a good thing. Uh, and so that's a, that's a great breakfast. Do you see the difference? So we've got healthy fats. We've got very high fiber. It's going to uh, work well for us. I don't know where my towel went. Do you, did anybody? Oh, here. It's, I'll just use this. Okay, so let's go to... So are we doing well so far for the day? Yes. Let's see. I think that handful of nuts, I can't remember how many calories that is, but I do it every day. Every day I get those... Okay, so now we're going to do lunch one and lunch two. Okay, lunch one. Great old American diet. Big Mac, 
Okay, so we have a Big Mac. I'll just write down what we're doing. Big Mac? Fries. Fries, yeah. Okay, apple, pie, uh huh. Soda. Okay, ice cream on the pie. Okay, so how much uh, dietary fiber do we have here? <laughs> okay, you have you have to eat every sesame seed on your bun. I want to tell you. So we have uh, maybe in the Big Mac there's a pickle and maybe a little slice of lettuce, maybe a tomato. We've got a little bit of apple here and maybe this is one gram of fiber. So maybe we have three grams, maybe, of fiber. Okay, protein, again, we're going to get a big protein boost from the, from the uh, Big Mac and the ice cream will be higher in fat than protein. But we'll, you know, we'll get a substantial amount of protein there, maybe 50 grams. But we'll definitely get, with the fries and the Big Mac, that's 60 grams of fat. This is probably another 15 and this is probably another 15. So, what, 90? Yeah, 90 grams. And then with the pie, with the apple pie and the soda, we probably have another 35 grams of sugar if it's a smaller size soda. Remember, it's a teaspoon per ounce of, uh, in the soda. So we have, again, 90 grams of fat. This is, this is average. It's about 90 grams per meal and about 35 to 40 teaspoons. And we're not counting snacks. We're not counting eating in between the meals. Okay, so what, let's look at our healthy meal for lunch. All right, we did that. Okay, so what are the components? Uh, or how much? Um, we did a cup. One cup beans. You know how to get on the good side of the teacher when you <laughs> well, like beans. Are, beans rule. <laughs> they rule. And what we tell people is when you're tired of beans, have, have some more. <laughs> okay. Brown rice, okay, we'll have a cup of that. And then uh, just some veggies, lettuce. What kind of lettuce? Um, the dark leafy. You want the leafy green, don't you? Okay, so green. Okay. And then tomatoes. Tomato. Uh, cucumber. Cukes. Um, green peppers. Pepper. There. Get your carotenoids. The onion is going to have an anti-inflammatory effect similar to aspirin. Do you have any? Olives. That's fine. Salsas, okay. And cheese that's like shredded. Okay, veggie shreds. Yeah, and then um, I think that was it. No avocado? Guacamole. <clears throat> okay, and some guac. Okay, can anybody pick out the, um, the nice uh, monounsaturated fats? The guacamole is monounsaturated. The olives are monounsaturated. Now, over here in the morning, we had 1,200 milligrams of omega-3s which helped you make the right decision for lunch. Now we're getting some gorgeous monounsaturated fats here. We have in the peppers uh, and the tomatoes, we have the carotenoids. In the cucumbers, we have magnesium and anything green. In the tomatoes, brown rice is going to be about four grams of fiber. The one cup of beans, 15 grams of fiber. And with all of this, we're going to get about another 10. So how many grams of fiber do we have in this lunch? 25, 29 grams. Pretty good, isn't it? And the beans and the rice makes a protein. <laughs> yes, yes, thank you. Yeah, it makes a complete protein right there. So uh, that's a really, really nice lunch. Nutritionally, the fat content is way low. It's probably 
10 grams of fat, maybe five, something like that. So that, very, very good. Okay, let's look at our supper. Hold on, hold on. Okay, supper. Okay, so we're going to Applebee's. And we're going to have a steak, eight ounce. Okay, baked potato. A baked potato with what? What do we put on the baked potato? Sour cream and butter. Okay, what else? What else are we going to have? You know what they say, the whiter the bread, the quicker you're dead. Yeah, white, okay, a white roll. And what else? Okay, so a glass of wine is equivalent to a Snickers bar in carbohydrate. Okay, what else? Okay, so dessert is what? A piece of pie or cheesecake? Cheesecake. Woo! Call 911. Yeah, you always have a little aperitif with some peanuts. Okay, now let's be fair. Let's put some green beans in here. Okay, can we? I mean, come on. Green beans. Okay, so green beans. Yeah, overcooked, yeah. soggy, but you know, with with be, fat back. Yeah, they have to have fat back. Yeah. 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 Little chunks of bacon. Okay, so we're looking at about, oh, just with this here and the dessert, oh, we're looking at at least easily 100 grams of fat, okay? We're looking with the white roll and the wine and the pie, we're probably looking at another 30 teaspoons of sugar, um, maybe 25 if it's a small piece of pie. And the green beans are going to give us about three grams of fiber. And the potato will give us a gram. So we'll get about four grams of fiber in this uh, meal. So we've, had, we've averaged about two to three grams per meal in the typical diet. So it's averaging about 10 grams a day. And we are getting to 45 to 50 grams with the healthy meal. What are we doing for our good supper? A bowl. Perfect. Okay, <laughs> tomato soup. Okay, a bowl, probably two cups, huh? Doesn't matter because it's all good. <laughs> okay, a lot of lycopene in there. That's it? No, that's it? I just wanted to say, I just said to her, just say that, see what Vicky said. Yeah, yeah, well, that, let's be real. We We're having something have else. Okay, what else? Oh, you didn't? <laughs> it's not your meal? Okay, okay what's your meal? Okay, okay, lentil. Okay, one cup. Okay, that is so cool. That's 16 grams again. Okay, a small salad. Okay, salad with what? With it's a green type, right? Arugula, raw spinach, and and when you go to restaurants, use the menu as a list of ingredients. What do you have in the kitchen? When I go to Olive Garden, I have the the salad made with raw spinach. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Okay, so we're going to have maybe a spinach salad. How about that for a change? Just a little bit. Okay, some kind of crackers maybe for a change. What do you think? Whole wheat? You okay with that? Am I altering your menu too much? Is that plenty? We done with that? You could put a little hummus on your roll. Okay, so we have 16 grams of fiber here. Well, let's just make this one cup. 
<laughs> we're getting a lot of fiber. Okay. <laughs> so we're getting 16, 17, you know, another 15 grams of fiber at least with this meal, 15 to 20. So do you see how easy it is? Look, one half cup of berries is five grams of fiber. Isn't that just a half a cup of berries? And a half a cup of grapes is seven grams of fiber. So if you're out the door with a little handful of walnuts and some grapes, you've got 10, 12, 15 grams of fiber. If you add a banana to it, whatever, you're getting some good dietary fiber to hold you, even if you're just on the run and you're taking these healthy elements with you. Isn't that fabulous? So overall, for the entire day of in fat content, we've probably got about 60 grams of fiber, and that's just, I mean, 60 grams of fat, and that's fine. But in this, in this scenario, we get at least 60 to 80 every meal, and it's the wrong kind of fat. These are healthy fats over here. We're getting the fiber content. We don't get it over here. We're only getting 8 to 10, maybe 12 at the most. So what a difference. And the sugar content, of course, we were all very, very obedient this day. We didn't get a cookie. We didn't have an after-dinner mint. Nothing. But you could get up to seven teaspoons of sugar if you're exercising. Not that we recommend that, but it would not disturb a high-fiber meal too much to have a cookie or a little jam on your toast, okay? So we're okay with that. Agave, yeah, you know, these things are very expensive, and, and the real truth is that it's much more about quantity than type of sugar for most people, unless you're a brittle diabetic, okay? So quantity is really, really important. Okay, we've been here a long time. Let's take 10, 15 minutes. We'll see you back at quarter till. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.